0: Is the gospel winsome? And how winsome should we be in presenting it? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Seitz. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horton. After we recorded this podcast, a controversy broke with Alistair Begg, where he had given advice to a grandmother that she should go to her son's transgender wedding and to even give the gift obviously this wasn't a wedding but he said otherwise you would appear judgmental but this podcast deals with the issue isn't the gospel judgmental tim keller spent his life expressing this idea that that you should be winsome in your presentation of the gospel that that the world if it hears the gospel in a way that that is kind and thoughtful and 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 gentle, that that will cause people to come to faith, that will cause people to see the goodness of God, and that, that that's the way to make inroads into societies that are opposed to the gospel. But that's kind of different than what the gospel says. The gospel says that it's a stumbling block, that it's an offense. So, so how do you balance these two? Is there a middle ground? So I'm going to
1: do something very odd. I think normally is I'm just going to come out and say, no, there is no middle ground. But then I'm going to explain what I mean by it. <laughs> I think the reason there's no middle ground is because, yeah, there's a, both of those things are true, but the way it ends up being balanced out isn't with some sort of middle ground that lies in between those two extremes. And this is partly because, and I think this will get fleshed out through the episode, but we're slaves of Christ, and God says we should live peaceably with all men as much as we can. But the things that cause us not to be able to live peaceably with all men are often completely out of our control if we're doing what we should do as slaves. And I mean, I, I would liken it to like I work for you as a salesman and a project manager. And I try to be be nice, be kind, be friendly to people that you deal with. But there are conversations sometimes that I have to have with someone that my niceness has nothing to do with the conversation that we have to have. My engagement with them and the the times that I need to engage with them in that way, it has nothing to do with my kindness. And maybe my kindness in the past is useful in that context at times, but that's not what causes them to engage with me in that moment or what causes me to have to have that conversation. In the end, that conversation is because you're my boss and I need to, and you've put them in a position where they have to deal with the situation. And I think when people deal with the gospel and when they, when the gospel actually comes, that's so much more the case as God puts someone in a situation where they have to deal with it. And we there as faithful servants have to express the gospel to them. And it's never our kindness that it's never our kindness that causes someone to go to all of a sudden go, I need to consider from life unto death. But it's not that the two are completely at odds with each other either. And so I think so often this gets framed completely wrongly and I would say when I heard Tim Keller describing it I think he was framing it because the way it relates to the gospel it's not some middle ground they're diametric when they happen they're diametrically opposed with one another and I think we need to change the way we think about the gospel we need to change about the way we think about how people come to it and we need to change the way we think about even our personal life because if we get it if we get any of those wrong it all gets very much out of balance.
0: And so, I mean, you use the word kindness, and he would use winsome usually. Right. And, and it's very different, right? It because is. when somebody's driving a car and they're going, a, going to go down a mountain, say, they're driving a truck, a semi, going down a mountain, and semis, they lose their brakes going down mountains. And if you knew that that semi had bad brakes and the driver didn't know it and you started to scream at them – Everybody would say you were not being winsome. Right. But anybody who knew the situation would say you're being kind. Right. And so he points towards winsomeness, but we shouldn't be winsome. We should be kind. And there's a huge difference between the two. And if you focus on being winsome, well, no, but to be winsome means that you don't offend. So how do you balance that with the gospel, which is kind of your point? right? But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be kind. We should be kind.
2: And I mean, maybe this is just to back up a little bit um, for a second is, you know, I mean, I don't know a ton about uh, Tim Keller, but I, I think that this is very relevant um, apart from him because it's it's not something, you know, he is the, maybe the face of it in, in recent years um, of this discussion of how winsome should you be, um, what, you know, what what set of strategies should you use in spreading the gospel? Um, but I think it's something that really comes down to errors uh, that we can make and that all of us um, have an inclination to make. And there's kind of there's basically two categories of errors. One error would be to um, be um, to, to be brash or um, rude in an ungodly way that is driving people away from the gospel, but then take their rejection of us, as you know proof that we are the remnant and that we are great and take that as self-confirmation and the other side would be to water down the gospel because the gospel you know as the bible is presented is um is offensive and so we want to cut off the offensive parts to make it acceptable and i think that all of us um have that have one of those inclinations probably in some ways we have both those inclinations uh, but probably most people tend to one or the other um and so the question is i mean probably most people would agree that both of those are bad things um but the question is where does like where are the lines that are separating those and to, to categorize certain behavior and how do you get into those errors
0: i mean and it's interesting because tim keller in the end he wasn't willing to water down the gospel too far, because basically he had won an award, the Abraham Kuyper Award from Princeton, and then people came out and protested against him having won this award because he said no women could be a pastor. And then the award was taken away from him because he wasn't winsome. And he didn't say, I mean, he wouldn't say things that were acceptable to the society. And so there was a limit that he would go to, where he would say, "I'm going to be winsome." But then he hit a point where he said, like you said, that that not that he was rude about it, but he said, "I can't go any further."
2: And and then you can also look at you can find video clips of him where he's being interviewed and asking hard questions on, you know, on biblical teaching that's offensive to modern culture, and he whiffle, and he waffles, right? And so, so you know,
0: no, 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 I'm, uh, yeah, and I'm just saying that it gets complicated. That even in the the prophet of winsomeness, in the end, said, I can't be that winsome.
1: And like Joshua was saying, I think the point of this episode isn't really to. we are not going to spend a lot of time dissecting specific Tim Keller quotes or anything that he's done. But this is a really—this is a universal issue of how do you separate being at peace with you and being at peace with God and your responsibilities to others that relate to that. And, and there's even a part of it, I think, your, I think your distinction about kindness is really good because I think there's a part of it where we very much m- we, we malign and destroy the definition of kindness frequently. And, I mean, it's, it's really important to remember that the fact that people can be saved is the kindness of God, that, that God is kind, and he's kind to who he chooses to be kind to, but it is the kindness of God that he saves some. He has no obligation to do so whatsoever. And it's really easy for us to go to to think about kindness in a wrong way because God has wrath, and yet God has mercy, and God's not God God doesn't have to bring those two things into balance to still be considered kind. He could save one person and still be kind and be wrathful, and it wouldn't cause him to suddenly to all of a sudden look at God and go, God has no mercy. God's not merciful.
0: When you look at a passage like Romans two it kind of helps with that balance, right? Because for somebody to come to salvation, they, they do need to understand God's wrath is upon them. And anybody that understands God's wrath is upon them until they receive salvation is going to go, God is not kind. But it says in Romans 2, 1 through 4, "...therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself." For you who judge practice the same things, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So when you preach the gospel, you can make it an offense, but just making it an offense isn't enough. Because just making it an offense isn't what leads people to salvation. Right? You can get them to understand that they should fear God, that they have the wrath of God upon them. But if you don't say that God also is long suffering, that God also forbears, that God also calls people to salvation, then you're not going to you're not really preaching the whole gospel to them either. And now obviously you look at Acts two where Paul Peter is waiting for them to respond. So I'm not saying that you don't wait for them to respond and things, but we can't just make it that the gospel is an offense and not say it's the goodness of God, the kindness of God, that he uses to draw people to repentance.
1: And it's even legitimate that sometimes people are offended by the fact that God, that they believe they need God's forgiveness. So You know what I mean? So, oh, sure. So, I mean, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying, I mean, this is the whole thing of, like Joshua saying, sometimes there's this attempt to be brash, and the truth is, is you don't have to be more brash than truth requires. You don't. I mean, because in the end, the truth is offensive, and you sometimes think that what they'll be offended by is the fact that they've sinned, but sometimes they're offended by the fact that God, that that God would judge them, or that God, you know, what I mean, or that God believes He is going to that He that His showing mercy to them that somehow that he should have to show mercy to everyone. You know, I mean, it's, it's right. shocking what people find offensive. And I think there's this part of it where we think we know, and that's part of the problem as well. Our job is to be faithful.
0: And different people find different things offensive, but basically every, what everybody finds offensive is that they're not God. Right. Sure. Right. And yes. so they might be offended at that God gets to choose rather than them getting to choose, that God gets to make the rules rather than them getting to make the rules. But in the end, what's offensive
1: right. is they're not God and they think they should be. It's kindness of God to call someone to repentance in the first place. But it's also kindness of God to break their slavery to sin. And not just their slavery to sin, but their 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 whole life in the sense I mean, people think of their slavery to sin like their work towards sin. But it's even the way they look at sin, it's the way they look at the law, it's the way they look at goodness, it's the way they look at everything. And you can see this in 2 Corinthians three fifteen through 18 But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord... Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And you can see this where it says at the beginning, where when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. And you can see this with so many people, where I mean, they look at the law and they go, "The law is this unbearable thing. The law is this thing full of hate and full." I mean, it's and and God even says, "All they can see in it is death," because the law is condemning them and it's condemning them, and they are going to die by the law. And so there's this part where I mean, they they cannot get past that, but when God comes, you look you read Psalm you know Psalm 119, and you see how David talks about the law. The veil is taken away, and they can look at the law and they see the goodness of God and they see His mercy and they see how there's actually mercy in the law itself. They see how that the law instructs us in, in righteousness and shows us. We're in Galatians it says that you know that there is no law that can give life but if righteousness could have been by a law then this law would have done it this law would have achieved that because it is towards god's righteousness and god's goodness and there's no way they can see that but through christ the kindness of god breaks that slavery to sin and changes their ability to see this this is this is kindness
0: you can't explain why somebody needs a savior until they recognize that they're in sin. And because they, the veil lies on their heart whenever they read the law, whenever they read the commandments of God, it is always going to be offensive. So we can't take the offense out of the gospel and expect anybody to be saved, because the reality is that's the state they're in. They're a slave of sin. They reject the law. They reject the idea that God can tell them what to do. Now, Somebody might be in a state of desperation so that it it goes through quickly, but there's always going to be this, I don't want this to be true. Now, they might have bigger problems that they have to deal with, so they're not that offended, but you can't skip that. And there's so much evangelism that ends up being, you know, and I'm not even saying Keller was saying this, although I think in real ways he was, where you skip the things that's required. It's offensive that you need a Savior. Well, if you don't know you need a savior, then you don't need Christ. So, and it's offensive, the idea that you can't save yourself. That's offensive.
3: The offense runs the other direction as well. Offense is fundamental to the nature of the gospel because we have offended God. We are offensive to God. And until somebody can see themselves the way that God sees them, they're not ready for the gospel. The gospel's not for that person until they can start to see themselves through the eyes of God and understand that there's this chasm between them that's their fault. That, that God is a holy God, that he's a righteous God, and that sin is an offense to God. And the problem is in me, it's not in God. And as long as you think that the problem is in God, then you're going to be offended by it. There's no way around that. But But that would be... The natural response to a true presentation of the gospel is for you to be offended because it's fundamentally pointing out your offense, your offensiveness in the eyes of a holy and perfect God.
2: And I think when, when we're looking at how we should present the gospel, you know, a big place to look is like Acts. And you see so often where um, in Acts, uh, where they are uh, preaching the gospel, and then it's particularly with the Jews, they get to. A point and they they say a particular thing touching the sin that the Jews who committed by crucifying Christ or you know something of that nature and then they say we want to kill you or they're listening fine and then immediately they turn and they're extremely angry at you know Stephen or or Paul or whoever it might be and, and the thing there is it'd be easy to say well I mean obviously he didn't do a very good job being winsome he was he's doing okay for the beginning and then it all fell apart but you know, Obviously, that's, that's an example for us that when you touch on someone's sin, they're going to get mad at you, but how can you present the gospel without touching directly on people's sins? And it's like
0: Peter, right? You crucified the Christ. That seems really straightforward. But then you look at Paul, and Paul, when he has Jerusalem surrounded, goes, and then I was sent to the Gentiles. And Stephen says, it was sent to the Gentiles. They didn't have a problem with pointing out this thing that we might consider to be secondary or tertiary. And they went, no, this is where your unbelief lies. You think you're the people of God because you have your great, 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 great was Israel. No, that's wrong. You know what I mean? And so when you look at the offense, they were actually looking to say, how can we say things that are offensive? Not for the sake of being offensive— But for the sake of saying this is where your unbelief lies, you think you're the people of God because you say you have Israel as your father, you have Abraham as your father. No, the Gentiles come in who do not have Abraham as your father, and that's why they want to kill Paul. And so we need to be willing to say not just go, yeah, there's just general offense, but actually go, here's the point that's most offensive to this person that they can't stand about the gospel. That's what we need to tell them.
2: And the thing is, too, like there's a lot of things, sins you can point out to people, you know, modern people, and, and they won't have much of a problem with it. At least there's certain ones. Like you can say, you're, you you know, that that you need Christ to fulfill your life, that your life is not complete without Christ. And I think a lot of people would say, you know, they're not believe, believers. They don't want to be believers. They say, well, they, you know, thanks for your concern for me. If you say, you know, you can't, you know— You can't kill babies in the womb or something like that. Um, Now it's a lot different, and that's hell for being a fornicator. That would be another big one, right? And so you know, before you were pointing out sin and something that they, you know, they say, "Okay, I'm not perfectly happy." They recognize that, but they're not seeing it as a sin in the way that they're actually going to get offended at it.
1: I mean, I think that's that's really important. Is I mean, when you look at Peter talking to them, he says, "You killed the Christ." you know what I mean and like when you go to the abortion clinic there's this part of it where there's a really strong temptation to cry out to these women and go i mean a lot of them have been treated really badly and so but you don't come to christ as your savior from your sin for other people treating you badly you have to go i'm a murderer i'm as i'm as bad as i'm as bad as a, any I'm, I'm worse than most murderers don't kill their own child that's how, I mean, and, and there's this part where people go, you can't, you can't tell them they're a murderer. You can't tell them, like, they need to understand that, like, under God's law, they should be put to death, not just cast into hell. They should be put to death in, in the society for their desire to kill their child. I mean, if they actually killed them. You know what I mean? It's, I right, mean, right. But, but they're sitting there going, this is a sin I can do. I can do this thing. And, and so, like you said, looking at someone going, you're a fornicator. You're, this is what Jesus did in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. You looked at a woman, and you lusted after her, and you think you're better than the guy who went out and committed adultery. You're both going to hell for this sin. Don't fool yourself. You're the sinner. And that's really, that's incredibly offensive.
0: We just need to recognize how quick Jesus as well, because we've talked about Paul, we've talked about Peter, but Jesus would say very offensive things too. Like in Mark eight thirty-one through 35, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him a sign and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. These are not words that are not inoffensive words. I mean, and and Peter obviously gets offended by it. How dare you say that you have to die for our sins? How dare you say that you have to suffer many things? Because we're the people of God, and he takes them off to rebuke him, and Christ says, you're offended by this because you're doing the work of Satan. And we need to recognize that the people who are unsaved, we should expect them to do the work of Satan. They're the children of Satan. They do the works of Satan. That's what Christ said, that if you're a child of God, you do the works of God. If you're a child of Satan, you do the works of Satan. Christ didn't go, well, don't say offensive things. He said, you have to die.
2: And I think it's something where um, a, a big mo- a, a big thing that we want to do when we're, you know, telling someone the gospel is we are very we 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 don't want to make a division between the people of god and and the, the slaves of god and the slaves of satan we want to um which comes down to not confronting people in their sin we want to say that we're all sinners and that is true and if you talk about the gospel for long enough you should, that people should know that we're all sinners, but we don't want to do the things that you see over and over again in the Bible, which is to say that the people who follow God are the people who are practicing righteousness and the people who are not following God are walking in wickedness. And obviously it doesn't mean that Christians are perfect, but they're, but the scripture repeatedly makes that division between there is a difference. And so, you know, if you're at the abortion clinic, we don't need to feel like we always have to be saying and we're sinners too don't murder your kids and we're sinners too you know there's a point where we need to be able to say repent and not let's talk to all of us we all need to repent and and I just, and it's partially a good motivation if it's coming from humility but we also need to realize that scripture makes a, a distinction and so we need to too
0: Especially in the New Covenant, right, in Ezekiel 36, it says the reason he sent his, his spirit was to cause us to walk in his statutes and his commandments. I mean, this is why he sent his spirit. So if you just turn around and go, yeah, I'm just like you, well, you should say, I'm not like you, but I'm not like you because of me. I'm, like, I'm not like you because of the work of God. This is what God does. He gives a heart of flesh. He writes the law on your mind and on your, you know, on, on your heart. And so it's a real difference and when we start to say there isn't a real difference yeah like you've said it's just saying make a profession say these words it doesn't matter it doesn't mean that you're actually different and there's no that's not the gospel the gospel is he transforms people he causes them to be born again which is what you know Jesus was saying in Matthew or in Mark 8 is that you have to die if you want to gain your life you have to lose it you have to be born again
1: One of the things, and this is a common verse for people to read, but I don't think we sometimes understand the significance of it. In Genesis 3, 4 through 5, where you have Adam and Eve in the garden, and then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, I mean, Satan is saying, Satan is not being offensive to her. He's he's sugarcoating the scenario. He's
0: being winsome.
1: And... But there's this part of it where I think a lot of the things we've talked about so far, like if someone was, again, if someone was defending Keller, they would go, he agrees with you about the things you've said so far about the gospel. But here's where this really starts to get interesting because they weren't just going to die spiritually. They were also going to die physically. They were going to, I mean, everything about this was death. Everything about it was death. And there's this point where, I mean, even when you get into political issues or you get into social issues, there are points where you see people and they're the society is drinking poison. Like you talked about the guy with the truck. Right. I mean, there's scenarios where you see somebody, and yeah, they have a right to make it a... You know, you see somebody and they, they discipline their child, and maybe they didn't discipline them as strongly as they should have. you your kind of way, should I say something to them? Should I not say something to them? There can be points where you're not sure it's the right thing to do. But there's other times where the person is going, I'm going to let my child become a... Uh, I'm going to let my son become a woman. I'm going to let my... I'm going to say that it's fine for them to go and have unprotected sex and they can go and have an abortion. And I'm going to say that the good is evil and the society is is, is eating death. There's this part of it where not just in the, in the gospel sense, but in the world, you have to go, absolutely not. This is evil. This is evil. And it's not loving to sit there or to sugarcoat it and go, well, that'll probably be fine. But you should also come to Christ. You know, or that... And like uh, you separate the two,
0: or just ignoring it even, which is what frequently happens. Is there's just ignoring it or saying, you know, I think a lot of times people go, "You can't say that." And Christ's response was, "It's satanic." Satan is winsome. That's a really important thing because people want to do these these you know these images of what Satan looks like, right? This thing with horns and red eyes and blah 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 blah. In this big frightening thing no he's as winsome as it gets and so that's not the the differentiator between god and satan is not how winsome they are christ says you have to die to yourself that you know i'm going to be beaten up because and killed because that's what's required for the jews to be saved how dare you say that is what peter's response was and so it's not about winsomeness that that creates this division between christ and satan It's about actually dealing with sin. It's about actually, you know, causing people to walk in the righteousness of God. Do not be deceived, as Joshua said earlier. Those who practice righteousness are righteous. And that's the division between Satan and Christ. Winsomeness is not the division. And it's the division is what has to be pushed.
2: Right, because we kind of think of Satan as wanting to go around and just torment everyone. That's his goal, rather than his goal being to drive people away from God. And so some people he torments, but other people he just lies to and tells them what they want to hear.
1: I mean, and that's why I kind of said at the beginning, there is no middle, there is no middle ground. You don't have this thing of going, how winsome should I be in this situation? What drives it is not how winsome you should be. I mean, if, if what you're talking about is literally what flavor ice cream do you want? Do you want the and, and they're like, oh, I like this and I think this is the best flavor. Well, you know, you can... You could be as winsome or as, you know, I mean, because in there, it's not even winsomeness. It's this doesn't matter. This isn't important. So why would I act like it's super important? But these other things that start to be, they start to be important. It's not how winsome should you be. It's how well do I understand that this leads to death? And if I have faith that this leads to death, I shouldn't look at them and act like it doesn't. I shouldn't pretend like we're talking about something that, that's, that doesn't matter. Everything's not ice cream. Some things, some things really matter. And you can't and, – and this is where I think you would have the most difference between – I mean even listening to a, a clip today by Keller where he's talking about politics where he – and I mean he would make it as between Republicans and Democrats, and I wouldn't say it's really between Republicans and Democrats, but I would go there are political positions that you have to take in the world – that if you don't take them, it's incompatible with the gospel. And if you don't fight for them and say that this matters at this level, you don't care about the gospel, and you have to push for those things. And you can't go, well, I think we can both be on two different sides on this issue.
0: No. Right, and obviously, you know, the the, well, the most obvious one is abortion, right? How can you say it's okay to kill a baby? If you're saying it's okay to kill a baby, how can you vote for a person who's saying it's okay to murder I mean, this is sin. You are partaking in their sin when you, and God says in Romans 1, that he doesn't just judge those who do it. He judges those who approve of it. If you voted for the person, you're approving a murder. Well, you can't do that as a Christian. And, and yeah, I watched the same clip, and he like just glosses over these things. And It's like, no, they aren't to be glossed over. That is murder. And to pretend like it's anything else is really a rejection of the gospel
3: and and what you're getting at is one of the really critical problems with with winsomeness at least in this iteration that we're dealing with it. If winsomeness was introduced as if if your pastor says, "Hey, you need to be more winsome in how you present the gospel," if he's doing that because you're just rude, then listen to him. Don't say, "Oh no, you know, I'm I I shh. you know, that's a problem." But that's not the context in which winsomeness is Attractive to the modern evangelical. The reason that winsomeness has been attractive is. Stated or unstated. Our desire to be attractive to the world. Our desire to appear mm-hmm. attractive to the world. And the only way that you can appear attractive to the world. Is minimizing those differences. You can't highlight them. and And if you highlight them. You're saying offensive things. And so. So that's where where winsomeness is really a problem, and that's why we're having a podcast like this, is because it's a way that we're letting worldliness creep in. And you even talked about some of the complexities with Keller. It's like he only will go so far, but you have to realize he goes far enough that worldliness creeps in.
2: And and we might want to say, instead of attracting this to the world, we might want to say, you know— you know socially acceptable to the world because there should be an attraction to the truth but if we're going for social respectability where you know the, the the powers that be or the institutions are acknowledging Christianity and saying well you know that's it's a you know they're doing great things etc., cetera, et cetera, um where we have that respectability that is, that you know that's where we're kind of running into the issues you're talking about.
3: Publish my papers. Let me speak at your conferences, those kinds of things. You know, we can, we can share a lectern and have a debate, you know, those sorts of things that have, have been just the poison of evangelicalism of at least a certain branch of evangelicalism.
0: It's really important to recognize just how unkind that is. Because that's why there's a big difference between kindness and winsomeness, right? Because if what you're saying is, I won't offend, then what you're saying is, I don't care how much damage you do to yourself. To go back to your, there's all these things are death, or have death in them. And so when you you start to say, well, I'm not going to say things that make me lose that podium, which sometimes people just say, but I need the audience because the audience is how I get the gospel out. Well, if you've rejected being kind to the people that you're dealing with, then it really doesn't matter if they give you the podium. But yet, I think a lot of people make that sacrifice where they go, we want the podium, and so that they're winsome, but they're unkind. And by that, if you go to like Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. So when you refuse to say these things, you don't care if it's for their good or not. You don't care about them. And so when you're saying, I need to have this podium, for what? You've taken away the goodness of the gospel. The goodness of the gospel is that you were a slave of sin, and now you can be a slave of righteousness, and it's good for you to be righteous. It's good for you to be able to be, to dwell in the presence of God for eternity. These are good things. And when you say, "Well, I won't talk about these because they divide off," well, guess what? You you're pretty unkind. You're pretty
2: mean. You know, it's not wrong to have these podiums. It's not wrong to have these debates. You know, you look at Paul in Athens, and that's what he's doing. I mean, he's at the you know the, I mean, the, basically exactly that. You know, the most socially respectable place to debate philosophy. That's where he is. Um, and and he was there, and he didn't give the same message there that he gave. You know, in Jerusalem, or you know, he had a different message. But his message was, "You are idolaters; that you are worshiping false gods."
3: And, and he was offensive in a specific way for their specific sins. I mean, he's talking to a bunch of Greeks, and he says, "Hey, what you worship in ignorance?" I mean, that's offensive to if, you, if you're somebody who worships knowledge to have a guy come in and say that you worship something in ignorance. Right. You know, he's he's going right for the jugular.
0: He's doing to the greeks what he did for the jews right i mean in both cases he went to the thing that would be most offensive and and it was also the kindest thing because he's you're worshipping this unknown god you don't even know who you're worshipping i know who i worship i worship the true god
2: and you know you know we have you know the this probably all can Imagine the stereotype of the you know the street preacher with the big big beard and the signs that look like they're about twenty years old and like the beat up car and <laughs> 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 and, and and you know we don't all need to be cars that. are expensive <laughs> <laughs> no, no and that's not and nothing necessarily against those people but we don't all have to be those people I mean there is a place to engage on a on you know, to engage with the world's philosophies and not just on, you know, you know, the everyday person. But the question is are you compromising and what are you giving are you refusing to speak to certain sins because it will limit you from this, you know, elevated discussion you want to have. And as as long as you do that you know, you're you're
0: you're you're not on the right track. And it's really, and it's the other side too, because you some of those street preachers. I mean, they they're putting their videos online because they're trying to be offensive, and that's not right either. I mean, the point is is that the gospel is offensive. You don't need to be offensive. You need to let the gospel be offensive. Right.
1: If you, if your lead in is, hey, fatso, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? There's there's a problem there. You know what I mean? That's that's, that's there's no there's no reason to speak in that way to someone. That's that's just you being a jerk. Yeah,
2: if you're in if you're in Utah, don't be, you know, using Mormon and moron in the same sentence. Just a not not a good idea at all.
1: Right. I mean, and, and I think there's this but I mean, it both sides in that case. I think there's this part of it where it's easy to you kind of create this spiritualized version of the gospel where it's everything so like when Joshua says today I set life and death before you, he's talking about eternal life. eternal death but he's also talking about life and death and he doesn't think that that those two are mutually exclusive and i think there's this part of it where we've we've had this long history of of going well this we're just going to deal with spiritual matters as opposed and and you look at where the world has the world has gotten because of that because we've said i mean we've forgotten that part of the great commission is teaching them to observe all the things i've commanded you and so there's this part where we we've cut that out of the gospel And so there's just a real you know I mean there's just a real disconnect when it comes to that because those things start to be offensive in a in a very normative way when you start teaching the world to obey all the things that God has commanded them.
0: And like kind of what Josh was saying before is where you go, Oh, we're all sinners. That's exactly the problem that you get is that that you make it all spiritual and then you say, We're all sinners, and now they've just any physical sin that they have, they're they're fine with. It's all acceptable. Right, you've made it because completely Because spiritually flat. I've done it as opposed to you read like Galatians 5 where Paul says, hey, the works of the flesh are evident and nobody is saved that has the works of the flesh. And so you consider those two and it's very different. And if all you make it about is a spiritual thing, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ and not – you have to turn from your sins now. I mean – and that's offensive. It's when you say you have to turn from your sins now, not Jesus has a wonderful purpose for your life. Well, that's a false gospel. There
1: are verses that do talk about, you know, God makes his even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so, like, where we're talking about, like, we want we want the approval of the world. Well, sometimes what we're saying is we just kind of want the respect of the world. You know, we want them to go, hey, you know, I don't agree with that guy, but he was a good guy. And And... That's and it shouldn't be wrong. And in the end, if what you're saying is is that you were faithful, that you were honest, that you were consistent, and if they're willing, you know, if they're willing to praise you for those things, that's that's okay. You know what I mean? It's like that's very that. But that again, that none of that is winsomeness.
0: Right. And but it's this ba- It's this not balance. That's the wrong word. But it's it's. It's defining it correctly so that you see it in the right way. It's defining it correctly, but it's especially that the, the reason that people should say he's a good guy is because you loved your enemies, right? not because of how you presented the gospel, because the gospel is offensive. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to love our enemies, and that doesn't mean that every time you love your enemies, you have to go, the gospel's offensive, because there's plenty of people that should say, you're a good guy, and maybe they was never the case where you could personally confront them in their sin. For instance, a good example, in Nigeria we've provided, you know, Reformation Baptist churches provide something like 500 legs for people that have had limbs amputated. Most of those are unbelievers, right? Most of them call themselves Christians, but they're unbelievers. They don't really have a true gospel. And yet most of those enemies of God would be saying, you know, Reformation Baptist church, they're very you know wonderful people. They're so kind to me to do this. But we've never had the chance to confront them with the offense of the gospel. But we still love them as people. They're made in the image of God. And so, you know, and, right. and it doesn't mean that it's wrong to do that, to provide a leg for that person. And at the same time, it also means that, that you know, you can't shy back from offending them if you got into that situation because we've also offended some.
2: And in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about this issue of, of whether, whether the gospel will, will win societal you know, acceptance, um, where he says this, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men and so you know I, what we're often contending with is the greeks calling it foolishness um, and paul was not concerned about the fact that they didn't see christianity as an interesting alternative worldview he, they, he's not concerned about that because he um, is saying i'm preaching the true gospel and um he is resting his hope in the fact that the Foolishness of God is wiser than men, and so he's content with to be wise in God's eyes and to be a fool for Christ's sake.
0: And I mean, one thing that I do think that it is worth it at times because it, you know the proverbs say, "Do not you know answer fool according to his folly, lest you be like him." And then it's also answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And a lot of times, the response to the gospel is to be offensive with the gospel to go. You think you're so wise but you don't even understand how we came to be. You don't even understand, like yeah, we've talked about before, how the English language was established because of the translation of a Bible. We can have a conversation. We can send this out. And all over the world, people can listen to this podcast and understand it because of the gospel. And if you don't think the gospel has any effect, you're a fool. And that's a reasonable thing to point out their foolishness. because, And they'll be offended by that because they hate the idea that the gospel had that effect because they'll assign that effect to man and the power of man, and it's just not, you just, it's just historically inaccurate. You know, one of the things that I said before is that instead of winsome, kindness is a better word, but the the word that actually gets the right context, gets the right understanding of the, because balance is wrong, right, because there's no middle ground but the right the right word is loving. What is loving? If you see that person and you know they're going to hell, they're reaping the the rewards of death, then to say something to them so that they see that that's loving. If they're hungry and you give them food because they're starving, that's loving. The standard is Christians are supposed to be loving. Not even kind, although kindness is a fruit of the spirit, so there's real, you know, real kindness that we're called to. But winsome isn't what we're called to. What we're called to is love. Love our enemies. Love our brothers. What we're called to is love.
1: And Paul says in Romans that love is the fulfillment of the law. And I think what's really, what's really useful about that is the reason why winsomeness is so appealing is because it's a, it's a much more simple rubric. It's a much more simple method to determine how you should behave. The law has a lot of things you have to consider you have to consider your what's going on with the person where they are what you're doing what your relationship with them is what your obligation I mean there's all these different things that you have to weigh and God talks about them in many different ways throughout his word and he talks about them throughout the old testament He gives application and all these different things and you have to, it's it can be complicated at times to know what the right thing to do is and winsomeness gives you just it kind of gives you an out as you just kind of go hey
3: I, I'm I, nice right What I hear you saying is that winsomeness is an affectation and that love requires investment. It requires justice, mercy, details, particulars, just getting involved at a different kind of level.
0: Yes. Right. Even when I heard you say, you know, love is the fulfillment of the law, and my immediate thought was, Almost everybody that hears that, including me, immediately snaps this idea. Well, if I'm loving, then it's fine. As opposed to it is the, the law that fleshes out all those details. Right. So that's how love's a fulfillment of the law is because what you do when you find a, a mother bird with her eggs and whether you take the mother or the eggs, what you do with that is about love. And so all the law is instruction on love, and so love is the fulfillment of the law because every law given, every statute is how do you love? And like you said, it's very complicated. That's why there's books of the Bible that are just this is how you love, but people go, if I'm nice to people, I'm loving. No, that's not loving. That might be winsome, but it's not loving. And
1: and this goes back to the passage we read before about the veil being on the person's eyes when they read Moses. I mean, and some people may not have caught the, the, the short the shorthand you were using there where you talked about the mother bird and the eggs. I mean, literally what you're saying is, is there are passages in the Old Testament law that talk about if you're going to go out and you're hunt you're hunting or you're looking, if you find a bird that has a nest with eggs in it, you have to treat that bird differently. And this is case law. It's giving you this one example just like that you don't muzzle the ox that's treading out the grain. That that passage tells you how to treat animals. But God says, even more importantly, it was given to help you understand how to pay people who do work, how to think about pastors in the few- I mean, all these different things. That this is the granularity by which God's law tells us how to love one another. And we've just much of much of within the church, the veil is on people's eyes. And they can't see the connection between God's law and love. And so when someone comes and says winsomeness, they go, that's easy. We can all, we can all grasp that. And we, even within the church, we don't have to make a division in the church because some in the church are going to go, the law has nothing good in it. And that shows us, wait a minute, there, there are issues in the church we have to deal with. Winsomeness, everybody can get on the same page, and you don't even have to fence the church and ask the church, do we know within the church who saved?
0: And I used the example before about the legs that we did. But the point is, is that when you do those things, people do think that's winsome, right? right? I mean, you look at it and you feed the poor and people go, these are good people. And that's not wrong to do that. You don't always have to be offensive. What you always have to do is be loving. And so like, you know, the, the first century church, when Paul's writing and he's He's talking about how he went to Jerusalem and had the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And he goes, hey, we both agreed with one basic thing, Galatians 2.10. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So if you think about caring for those who are suffering as winsome, then you should be winsome. You don't have to be in offense about everything in the gospel. If the person is hungry, you should feed them. You don't say, but wait a second, you're a sinner,
1: we brought sandwiches and pokes in the eye. Do you that, know what I mean? It's like you don't have to, right? I mean, it's right. You can, you can. There are plenty of times where you can just give them a sandwich,
0: right? And I think that it's, and people might say that's being winsome because you didn't confront them in the gospel, you didn't offend. But you also cared for somebody made in the image of God.
1: Because God told you to give them food. Right. You know what I, mean, I mean? That's I was the thing you gave me God food. said feed them. You know what I mean? And I think there's this part where if God if God hadn't said to feed them,
0: then you
1: shouldn't. If you didn't have it gets I mean? a little yeah. bit
0: more complicated than that, right? Because in the Sermon on the Mount, the Pharisees are going out and they're feeding them. And Jesus says, Don't do that. Don't be right. like that. And so it is more complicated, right. right? Because you have to be feeding them because you care about them, not because you want to buy applause from them. If you're right. buying applause from them, it's not love. And you shouldn't expect people to look and say, in oh, sincerity, say, these are good people. They might go, yeah, these are good people because I want another bag of groceries. I was once in a church in in South America and this woman pastor who claimed she wasn't a woman pastor, she was like... The people came because she gave them each a bag of food at the end of the service. And it's like, look at how – no, she was just buying affection. I mean, this isn't isn't love. This isn't – and so you can be winsome in that way, right? You can be winsome like the Pharisees were that blew a trumpet to say, come and collect alms for me so that you can go eat. That's not love. What love is is to say, how do I
2: actually help these people? Another verse that bears on this is Romans twelve twenty. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him; if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And so here you have that you know the the well, quote unquote winsome approach of giving your enemies food and drink, and then the flip side of that is you're heaping coals of fire on his head. Now. There's there's some people who, who want to reinterpret that that heating coals of fire on his head is actually a good thing, but I mean without getting into all of it, I mean it seems pretty self-explanatory. You're getting coals of fire on your head. You know, it's something that that kindness is not taken as a blessing, is taken as an attack.
0: So you look externally and you go, we're feeding the poor, right? He was thirsty gave him drink. He was hungry. I gave him food. And people would say that's being winsome, but then you're actually being an offense by doing that. And so even then the winsome doesn't hold up because if you're actually being offense, which is what God says in many times, that's what will happen if you do it to your enemy, is that you'll be an offense. And so that winsome just doesn't fit into the equation. The real equation is, are you loving them or not? If you're not loving them, if you're not actually caring about them, what it can do is it reaches the point where they will be so angered that they will come back and attack you, right? Because the commandments of God are good. And you're saying, hey, if you did this, it would be better for you. In Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ says, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And so if you're going, but this will be better for you, don't expect them not to attack you. So this would be, right, this is what we would think of as the picture of winsomeness. And God still says, no, That that's an offense. You should still expect them to be offended.
1: You definitely see this in the New Testament, but this goes back to, I mean, of, of all places in Leviticus that people wouldn't have, you know, that people frequently don't think of as a passage to go to for commandments of just how to love your brother. In Leviticus nineteen seventeen through 18— You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. That you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so, I mean, here it's talking about you know that you you should rebuke your neighbor when it's appropriate to do so. And I mean, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, one of the things here is if you understand that if you through. Through wisdom, understand that you would have wanted someone to rebuke you. You look at something and you go, When I was foolish, I wish someone had come to me. If I was in this same situation, it would be loving for someone to come to me and tell me about this. And you have to love your neighbor enough to do that to them. You have to, even though your neighbor may not appreciate you doing it, it doesn't say if you believe your neighbor will appreciate what you do. I mean, we did an episode a while back on there's a passage in scripture about, um, Parents taking an adult child to the gates of their city, to the elders of their city, and then being stoned because this child is rebellious and never obeyed. And we talked about how if such a thing ever happened, it would change our view of if you ever saw a parent not disciplining this child. It would cause you to have this—that your sin and their sin are connected, that you can't look at their sin and go, this has nothing to do with me. That I can look at my brother and I can see what he's doing and I can go, I don't have to care for him. In the same way that you would if his house was on fire, you would go in and say, Wake up, wake up that there are other things that you would tell him, wake up. You need to understand what's going on and you would rebuke him. And God says this is this is loving, but it's certainly not winsome.
3: Yeah, if you if you read these verses and you just start with that first line, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. Pause. Don't keep reading. What what do you Imagine follows after that. I don't hate my brother in, in my heart. Okay, I need to think nice things about him. I need to say nice things to him. Hi, how's it going? But that's not where the verse goes. The next thing that it says, when it's, you know, it's setting you up, don't hate your brother in your heart. Make sure you tell him when you see him sinning. That's what it follows it up with. Is that's how you love your brother in your heart is by saying, hey, I see you doing that thing. Stop doing that thing. That sounds like being a Karen. It, it kind of does, and but that's what it says. <laughs> it is. It is what it says. And
0: God is being very explicit, right, that if you don't do that, you become guilty of the sin. Yep. Do not bear sin because of him. You bear guilt when you fail to rebuke. You join in the sin, and you start to be guilty of the same sin. And we don't look at I mean, I don't see how that fits into winsomeness. Because yes, there are people that take you know, wise man takes rebuke, right? That's Proverb says that multiple times. But that doesn't mean that that's how most people accept rebuke. And even the wise man that accepts rebuke usually at first he doesn't say, "Oh wow, you were being so kind and charming and sweet to me." Instead, he goes, "How dare you say that?" Oh, wait a second, you're right, right? Even the wise men don't say that it's winsome to be rebuked, right? But it is loving to rebuke.
1: And every parent understands this. There's times where you know, as your kids get older, where you look at them, I, I've told one of them the other day, you know, it's like I have an obligation to correct you and you make it so painful. You know, it's, I mean, it's like you, you know, it's like oh, we have to go through this dog and pony show every time I want to correct you to you. And then you're sad and then you're ropy, and then, you know, and 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 there's this part of it where you go. This I mean. But this is what you should expect with a lot of times with people. There's a part of it where if you do this, I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, if you have the right attitude tor- towards people, you're not looking going, this is going to be delightful. I'm going to go on and correct him. And he's going to go, well, thank you for pointing that out to me. I've been waiting for someone to come by and tell me I shouldn't do that. Why don't you come inside and let's have a meal and you can tell me about other things that I'm doing wrong. I mean, that is not what's going, I mean, if they do say that, you know, you've, they've moved into sarcasm and it's just getting ready to get ugly.
3: <laughs> not- but. but- <laughs> But you, you do have children that you know. You have children who at times are asking for a spanking. They're asking for you to say, where are the limits? I'm going to push those limits. I, I want that. And they don't use those words, but their actions are summing up to that. And the father hates the child who won't say, yep, you found the limits, and you will be disciplined for it. I mean, that's what Proverbs says. If you hate your son, you withhold correction from him.
1: Culturally, we've we've created this idea of of mind your own business in every area, and it's just not scriptural. You know, I mean, it's I mean, there are areas where we should mind our own business, where we don't. But I mean, but God is saying you can't adopt the idea of mind your own business, live and let live. Don't stick your nose in your neighbor's business. There are parts of your neighbor's business that you will have an obligation that you will stand before God. He will look at you and go, you hated your neighbor, and you can't avoid that. And you can't make up cultural rules or or, or mores that, that allow you to avoid it.
3: My wife told me that one of our neighbors stopped going to church during COVID and hadn't gone back. And I thought, I have to talk to him now. I mean, next time we talk, I guess that's what we have to talk about is, why aren't you going to church? You need to go to church. and
0: when we think about rebuke too i mean there's other words that people use in scripture that it, i mean they're they're very they're very pointed they're very offensive they're very and and we need to recognize that it's not just that you rebuke and they're offended by the rebuke at times people are so hard hearted and they're so so it's so difficult for them to hear that you have to say things that are like really blunt and really like Not just, hey, you're sinning, but you understand what a wicked, vile person you are. For instance, this is John the Baptist in Luke 3, 7 and 8. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. It's one thing to say you need to repent, but he doesn't start there. He goes, "Brood of vipers," and the idea is is if somebody's house is on fire, and you know they're asleep in the house, you have to bang on the door to wake them up before you can say your house is on fire. And this, you see, this pattern with Christ, you see this pattern with John the Baptist, you see this pattern with Paul, is that there is a place where it's not even specifically rebuking about a sin. It's not even specifically you know dealing with some offense of the gospel, it's going, "Do you understand who you are?" and saying it in such a blunt way that that they respond and so that's like this is you know this is where you're choosing to be offensive because that's the only way to get them to hear
3: because that's the only way to communicate the truth. If you're a young man listening to this, this is a delicate passage for you to deal with because there's things about this that appeal to you in the flesh. There's, you you look at you somebody. You don't
0: have the judgment yet to understand how spiritually you should deal with. You
3: them. know, you read John the Baptist, who looks at authorities and calls them broods of vipers, and you're like, oh yeah, man, he's putting one over on them. He's he's talking truth to power, and and the the desires of your flesh are just to be just to be offensive and not to be truthful. Maybe you know the the one that I always think of is Elijah with the prophets of Baal, where he really. I mean, he says all sorts of offensive things for the point of being offensive because of how much they hate God and how far the prophets of Baal have led the nation away. And he's doing all this ultimately to glorify God, to and mock so that the, the idols, it, right? to, so <laughs> the people see just the absolute absurdity of what's going on here. And there's, there's a particular kind of person that's going to look at that, and they're going to want all of the win the argument sort of thing instead of the how is this glorifying god and how is saying that actually loving the person who's hearing that or loving the hearers who around who are observing that you know john the baptist is saying this as much for the multitudes as the broods of vipers
0: there's another case where it is said to the pharisees but it doesn't you know with the axe at the root of the tree but here he's saying it to the whole multitude because the whole multitudes coming out there just because they want to follow and and john, you, and
3: john the baptist dies because he looks at somebody and says it's not lawful for you to have that woman as a wife right and that's why he's in prison and ends up dying
1: i mean it's probably worth talking about the, even the tone that you say some of these things in i mean because there's a part of it where i mean I, i'm a fairly emotional person if i go and speak in a rebuking way to somebody it's it's easy for me to get to a point where I can show emotion when I do that, and even to like maybe cry because I want to. Sh- I want to show them that I care about them. And it's not. There are times where that's detrimental. You know what I mean. And mm-hmm. there are times where it would. It would. Or
0: it's it manipulative w- is what you mean. Oh, by or God. even where it would harm well, you're the not communication, not necessarily being manipulative. Right. but The tears end up manipulating, even though you may not – in a be.
1: harmful way. Even right, right. Where, where they right. where they don't understand the seri- They see it as. Now it becomes about my personal care for them, as opposed to the fact that they stand being judged by an Almighty God. you know what I mean is when the, when the person comes and delivers a message for the king, he doesn 't go and oh, i'm so sorry that the king is delivering this message to you that you are going to be he comes and he goes, "You are being judged by the king, and he needs to he needs to display even some of the anger of the king at times when 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 John the Baptist is saying this. I mean, like, you know, people talk about Jonathan Edwards, that he kind of read his sermons in a monotone. So he reads Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and he may have read it in a monotone. And that's that's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I doubt John the Baptist was delivering this in a monotone. You know what I mean? My guess right. is, is he had some real passion behind it, and he probably wasn't weeping. Right. You know what I mean? And I think there's this part of it where, I mean, we just— this this goes back to us being the servants of God. Like, when when you have me have a conversation with a customer, it's— it would not be useful for me to cry in that meeting with no, the customer. No, would not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Dan just really wants you to understand this project. Understand to get back is on track. Yeah, how much You know what I mean? It's like you're not paying your bills, and that's going to be a problem. You know what I mean? I mean, there's there are issues that you have to express them, and again, you don't have to gen up anger, fake anger, but there's times where you have to show real seriousness to it. You're not allowed—you don't get—you're not—the message isn't yours. Right. And I think there's this part of it where because of that, this is where it really just fights with winsomeness completely is because you're the servant of God. You're delivering his message, and his law and his obligations require you to think about how that needs to be handled.
2: And,
0: I mean, I can, you know, having done—said things like this multiple—many times, you know, personally— <laughs> <laughs>
3: Of vipers, it's
0: like today, you know. <laughs> well, not today, but but many times where you keep going, like, yeah, you know, where you're talking to a group of people and you go, "This is what God says about like tongues." Say, "This is what it says." This is what it says, and they keep asking questions, and then the only way to get them to understand the seriousness is go. You have no idea what the gospel is. You think the gospel is about going, blah, blah, blah. You're idiots. This is not what the gospel is. And I've been known to say it was, you know, I'm sure people saw anger in me when I said it. Because I said, this is an offense to God that you think God is just this toy thing that just is confusion and idiocy. Not that I would ever insult anybody or not be winsome. I've listened to you. I've listened to you live. Yeah, you're sugarcoating it. But, but in that moment, frequently what happens is, and I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying salvation at all, but what I'm saying is at that moment, people take it seriously. And if all I tried to do was just keep, let me be patient and explain it to you again, it will never cut through. You have to say things with force. That's what John the Baptist did when he called him of vipers. That's what Jesus Christ did, like in Matthew 23, 13 and 14. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Christ didn't say... But what are you? But what are you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? I'm sorry, you're a hypocrite. You shut up the king. Look what you're doing to. No, that's not the message right. that Christ was saying. Christ is saying it with force because it takes force to break through people to get them to actually listen. And they, they God doesn't give them ears to hear. They can't hear but you actually have to use force to get people to listen. And I think he thought that, Keller again, that he thought that they would listen because you made an intellectual argument. No, sin is a lot. You're more encased and hardened by sin than that. Your conscience is more seared by sin than that. It takes real work to break through that.
1: You also can't let the person who heard you Tell you how they felt when you said it, and let that be the final arbiter for what you do in the future. And I mean, you know, I mean, and I, I th- again, I think this is children. At times, there are times where my children, I'm actually, I I have to, I have to work at times to be, to speak to them firmer than I, you know. I, I want to just kind of speak very, you know, very gently at times. There's times where I have to, like you said, you have to push. You have to do this. And there are times where they'll go. They'll start using this tactic where they'll go. well, I just think you're always mad at me, and you look at them and you have to go. No, you don't.
0: Yeah, you're just lying. And
1: you're yeah. lying about that. And there's a part where we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be surprised that the world lies and the world says these guys they yell and they. I mean, and you shouldn't. I mean, there are times when Paul's on on in uh, Mars Hill. I don't think he's shouting and yelling from a lot of it. You know, I, I think I, I I, you know. I mean, I'm not saying in he every. might have
0: been yelling because it was a big place. <laughs> right. But I,
1: I mean, but I don't think they thought he was angry. Right. And. You know, and So I am not by any means arguing that it should always be in this way. But, but when you deliver a message in this way, again, you should not expect that the other person goes, that their response is going to go, that is exactly what I needed to hear, exactly the way I needed to hear it. Thank and you for calling me a viper. <laughs> you don't give them a comment card, and they come back and give you notes on your – and it doesn't mean that you don't think about what you did. It doesn't mean you don't consider it. It doesn't mean you don't look at those things. But they can't be the arbiter of how effective it was. Because you're talking about someone who's very likely dead in their sins, and that that's just they can't be the one who measures it.
3: If they are, then, then what you're really saying is that you want the appeal of men. Yes. That's that's your goal instead of the glory of God.
1: Yeah. And it's so easy. I mean, and I understand there are people going, that what you're saying is is you just stick to your guns and you don't listen to anybody. I'm not saying you don't listen to anybody. I'm saying... You cannot make your measure of the effectiveness of your message and the means of your message. It cannot be based on the audience that God has called you to speak it to. That cannot be the one, who that you say they're the standard, they're the basis. Absolutely not.
0: Let's modify that a little bit, right? Because there is the point where you're going in front of that audience and you're trying to reach that audience. If the measure is the audience's satisfaction what of I'm what saying. you said— but a lot of times, my measure of if the audience heard me is if I get absolute silence when I'm done. And that sure. is a real measure, and sure. it is a real if thing. You're that measuring the effect. I'm measuring, I'm measuring the response of the audience, but not whether they liked me or right. not. Not, not, not if approval. they liked what I said. Not right. their approval, but do I think I pierced through so that they could actually hear me? And no murmuring is frequently a pretty good sign that they actually heard. And there's times
1: where you deliver a message, and you think it's great, and their response, and really what they did is they just they just really, enjo- wow, I've never heard somebody explain it like I'm that. And it that. was just an intellectual, it was just an intellectual appreciation of what happened. I mean, and so it's, it's, right. it can be complicated to measure that, but it's never their approval of it. That's what I was meaning specifically.
3: But, you know, later on in Jesus's ministry, there's a point when, when the leaders come to him and they say, you know, Teacher, we know you're no respecter of persons. And and so should we pay taxes? And and the response in the, the gospels is Jesus perceiving their wickedness. So he's he's there's so much complexity with that where, where they're like, okay, we know we know you're not winsome. You don't really care about status and stuff, but we're still gonna call you teacher. And Jesus' like, I, I know the blackness of your heart. And I'm just going to cut all the way through this.
2: And what they would have loved is for Jesus to, you know, ran against the Romans, who were sinners, but he didn't do that.
3: People,
0: they want to talk about presenting the gospel, and they want to present the gospel absent of love, meaning that they aren't actually thinking about the person. Like if Jesus Christ would have responded, yes, Caesar is a wicked man, he's not actually loving the people that he's talking to. And it's when you care enough and think about the people and say, what is wise here? Should I be, you know, are they still having an intellectual debate about this? Are they really trying to find out what the Scriptures say about this? Are they just in rebellion to God? In your response, when you measure it, when you try to understand it, and you might, we're human. Christ got it right. He understood the wickedness of their heart. But we might, you know, a lot of times in those conversations all of a sudden, you ramp it up dramatically because you go, now I think this is just about you refusing to see something versus before maybe you were really confused and didn't understand. So, you, so even in that conversation, the level of winsomeness in presenting some aspect of the gospel varies depending on the person, which is why I say it all comes down to love. Because if you're considering the audience that you're speaking to, you say, what's the
2: best thing to say for this audience? And one thing, too, is, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there who are very concerned about whether, you know, Keller was too winsome or this preacher or that preacher, or whether they were standing bold enough or whether, you know, other people, when they're speaking to people, you know, how, you know, are they are they really getting to the root of people's sin? But they are afraid of man and they don't say anything to anybody. They sit at home and criticize other people. So, not that these—I mean, obviously, we think this is an important conversation. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been talking about it. But you know, it's it's very easy to distract ourselves with these things of what is the right way to talk to people. But in the end, we don't doesn't matter to us because we don't care, and we we're, we're too scared of man, and we don't say anything.
1: I mean, I think your point about the fact that they wanted them to speak against the Romans is a is a good point in the sense that it's kind of in the pursuit of people who are showing that they don't care about who they talk about. Most groups will have. They'll have something that's their whipping boy that they go to. You know what I mean? It's the person, the group you can attack that doesn't offend anyone in the room. You know what I mean? That doesn't address any sins that that matter, and it's it's a it's still a way of achieving the approval of everyone around you. You full throated, you go after you know the the Democrats. Can you believe the Democrats and how wicked the Democrats are? And but are you going to actually talk about your own sins? Are you going to talk about the sins of your own party? Are you going to talk about you know? That's really easy to do.
3: I knew this one pastor once who would preach just perfectly orthodox, reformed sermons. And he would, he always had some stalking horse that he was going after in his sermons, you know, talking about the liberals or this philosophy or that philosophy. What he never did in his sermons was talked about a sin that somebody in the room might actually be tempted by or experiencing. That was, you know, there was, Never any call to repentance.
0: I try though, Jonathan. I try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even in the lack of winsomeness, as Jesus Christ is calling the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, hypocrites, and being very direct and insulting. Probably the main audience that he was talking to were the other people standing there, kinda of like Elijah. It probably wasn't the Pharisees. It was for the other people to see this is what sin has brought them to, where you're thinking these are the holy men, but they're not the holy men. They're really the worst of the worst. And so a lot of times, you know, people, you know, kind of the ricochet shot, you know, where you're, you're saying something to A, but you're really saying it in a way that's very offensive to A, but it's so that other people hear. And clearly Christ says that that's acceptable too. I don't see, you know, in many cases what he's doing is he's going after somebody with with the understanding that other people will hear and that that's who his primary target audience is, those other people, and not the people that he's actually insulting. So obviously if Christ does it, it seems to me that this is a valid technique for us to use at times where where it's not even that we're being direct and blunt and offensive to the given person we're talking to, but we're doing it not even with the thought that it will win them, but that it will win others to Christ.
1: Because if you bring down, cause if you bring down the Pharisees that were the holiest of the holies, everybody else goes. What about me, right? I mean, if you, I mean, and so it, it's not, it's not like a stalking horse. It's not just beating up someone for no reason. It's it's actually because you have real reason to understand that this target, you don't have any, you don't have any real thought of I'm going to win this person. But what they represent and what they do, it has real tact. I mean, this is this is where you actually think about how you're going to approach this, where you ask yourself, "What's the right thing to do? What's the right way to cause this person to see the truth?"
0: And or again, cause that's this when you're speaking to a, to a group, cause the group, even if you have to go after a very particular person in that group in order for the rest of the group to see that that's that's a valid technique, and that is kind of the opposite of winsomeness. Christ talks about how that
1: we're to be at odds with the world itself. And, and that's, I mean, James 4, four Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I mean, this is just, this is just very blunt and very straightforward. I mean, there's a part of it where if you're definition— this is why winsomeness is a bad definition— is because it draws the line in a place where you're going to be tempted to be friends with the world. You're going to be tempted to draw the to draw how you should react, to draw that line in a way where you can't separate yourself from being friends with the world. And I mean, look at the beginning of that passage. Adulterers and adulteresses. I mean, that friendship is this friendship is associating with yourself in a way that where you can't help and being tarnished in it. I mean, almost in a sexual way, you know I mean? There's this part of it I mean, where I think
0: it's a picture of idolatry, right? right? Because I mean, it's using that, that formula from the old Testament. So it's right. saying that basically if you're trying to be a friend of the world, you're an idolater, right? It's using the term adulterer and adulteress, but don't think, you know, Joshua said before that there's people that are sitting there going, well, I don't go out and do anything. And the reality is so often people do say they're doing stuff. But the things that they're doing are like they want friendship with the world. So maybe I'll give somebody a track, but I won't talk to them. I won't like actually confront them in their sin.
2: Or leave a track in the bathroom. <laughs> or leave a track
0: in the bathroom. Right. And so nothing and then wrong they with go doing that.
1: But if you do that because you won't confront someone. That's the problem, right? I mean, it's...
0: Frequently, but a lot of times you're just littering, so because nobody... Sure. Made, I mean, they're I so understand. ineffective, it's it's pretty poor right. stewardship in a lot of cases. That's different than, than, like, actually talking to somebody and saying, hey, here's a track, right? right. But, but often what you kind of have both sides, right, is that you have the side of the person who goes, I'm not actually willing... I'm going to evangelize, but never be offensive. So Francis said, you know... Preach the gospel, and if you have to use words, well, that's the that's kind of like the one that's the winsome side, right? Is never say anything offensive. Just you know, show them love, and that will preach the gospel. And that's like the extreme of that. And then you have the other side where it's you know, kind of the young radical and reform side, which is you just want to offend for the sake of offense, and christian doesn't do either and the measure of how you stay between those sides is neither of them actually loves the person and we actually have to love the person not love the world not love our pride but love the person which is how you fit how you go in that road between those two
1: and when you're deciding what to do between those two you're never looking at either person for reference you're not the right thing is to never look and say, what would this guy do? What would this guy do? You're looking at something completely different than the two of them are looking at. And that's why it's, that's why in the beginning I said, it's not a middle ground. You, it's not like, how do I find a balance between these two extremes? It's because both
0: of them are two different forms of sin, right? the right the the middle way if you will the narrow road right because i'm using that and the narrow road is not a compromise it's not you know a compromise between the one and the other and it's not a always balance. exactly in the middle between the two right of them. but the narrow road is do not go off on the right which is just to go well i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or go off on the left which is i'm going to offend with the gospel because it makes me feel good about myself the narrow way is you love them and that you actually care about them Right in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And that's what I think in both of those cases, in the one case, the person who won't say anything that just says, I'll preach the gospel, and if I have to, I'll use words. Well, they don't really love the person either, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the person who's going and just puffing themselves up with their knowledge, because knowledge puffs up, they don't have love either. And you can't expect either of those groups to win people. The way you win people is by loving. That's your duty, that's your job before God. And how you love them gets to be very complicated because love's a very complicated subject. But that's the job, is to love them. I mean,
1: we have some friends who have been going through a really difficult time at their church for several years where they've their elders have behaved like wolves and they've even been, they've in trying to resolve things with their elders, they've been excommunicated, they were blackmailed, told if you just leave and don't talk about it, we'll we'll send you a letter of recommendation that all these things are going on and so they're finally getting to the point where they're going, We have to write a letter to the congregation and they're wrestling with this issue. I mean, they're they're wrestling with this question of, you know, how do we write this to people who they don't know anything yet, and if we say what we believe, they'll sort of think we're crazy, or it'll sound so forceful and and it's just and they're trying to figure out what the right balance is and I was having a conversation with him, and I'm like the question is is when you stand before God, will God look at you and read your letter and go, "You told people enough to to say, "Did you warn them that there were wolves? Did you warn them of what the real danger was?" If you just say there's there's been a disagreement here, if you just say there's been you know a misunderstanding, people aren't gonna they're not gonna you're not gonna be, it's not gonna be alarming enough to people to say hey there's a real danger here. You have to you have to tell people. And if they go I'm not interested in the facts, that's not your fault. But there are you know I mean and this this really this okay. these things aren't these things aren't immaterial. I mean my guess is there are hundreds and thousands of people in the world today, who are dealing with sim- situations very similar to this, where people are telling them, just go to another church, just, just leave, just walk away, it's not your business, just wash your hands of it, and God says, you have an obligation to one another. We, we, we have to care for the flock, we have to care for the other sheep, and that requires us to not be winsome, it requires us to actually speak the truth and to blow a trumpet and to shout and to warn people
0: right and it's blowing a trumpet it's not that it's not even that you say it it's that you say it in such a way that people can hear it because if it's you know the person who has thick skin you have to use a lot more you know force on the scalpel, scalpel than somebody who, who is really thin skinned i mean this is just how it works and so that's actually how we have to think about it is what force does it take to actually pierce and love is what ends up being what drives that judgment. Actually caring is what drives that judgment. So you can say, in this case, I should barely touch it. And in this case, I have to plunge it in as hard as I can because that's, you know, they have skin like a shark. You have to really work at it versus somebody that has skin like a hundred-year-old. You don't have to work very hard. And it's love that makes you and gives you the wisdom and how to do that. It's actually
3: caring about them. You go back and you think about the Leviticus 19 passage that starts with, do you not hate your brother in your heart? And that passage, it it requires a lot of wisdom for how to apply it. The way that you rebuke a neighbor, the way that you rebuke a brother, really varies based on the circumstances, based on the type of the sin, based on— I mean, it's what I think about when I think about that situation our friends who are having to write that letter, it's a lot of the people, they're not rebuking, but they are having to figure out how do I not hate them in my heart by keeping things secret that it is useful for them to know.
0: God is love, and because he is love, the goal of the Christian life is not to be winsome. The goal of the Christian life is to be like God, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to be loving. And that's how the gospel is to go forth, by our loving our enemies, by our loving our brother, by us exhibiting love as God declared in his law. It's not about winsomeness. It's about love. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering
1: Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us
3: online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app.